The Treasure of the Ancient King Part 1 The Forgotten Prince Chapter 2 On entering the pub, and utterly exhausted from ten days of near-constant travelling, I booked the best room available and tipped the innkeeper to prepare a generous scoop of cold for me when I had finished my supper. A thunder of laughter and a squeak of woodwork ricocheted down the corridor toward me. A clatter of guests descended a stairway behind me, and turned into the large taproom on my left. Do you have any private booths? I asked the innkeeper instinctively. Of course, there's a free room second on the right, Master Gramestone. The kindly man replied, pointing at a door opposite the main pub. Will you be wanting the house stew tonight? Is it the chicken? I asked. They had a hearty chicken stew. I saw that he nodded. If he had said anything, it was drowned out by the sound of clapping. I looked back at the firelight washing across the balustrades. The shadows of the townsfolk were dancing gaily to the sound of an impromptu applause. Oh, those were the days when I would have walked up to the bar to the sound of a mocking ovation and the rhythm of blows across my back. If it isn't old Tubby Grimestone, they used to say. Those days are behind me, I reasoned coldly. These young strangers would be more respectful to their elders. Well, that be all, sir. And your best brandy, if you please, I replied. Unfortunately for me, only an inferior brand was in stock. When the stew came, it was certainly hearty, but the broth was so thick and the meaty chunks so small that I found myself squinting in the candlelight and searching for giblets among sticky layers of lentils, turnip cubes and potato skins. It was a far cry from the good old days. Then, all of a sudden, there was a flash of heaven in the air. A glorious baritone echoed down the corridor, illuminating my dimly lit purgatory. Right then, it could have been the voice of Isidore himself, the scythe of paradise, harvesting the sweet fruit of better times and loosing their juices upon my unsuspecting lap. Its very sound promised satisfaction, the familiar tone like a vintage of kinship, carrying a spirit of camaraderie, aromatic and spicy from decades fermenting in the oaken cask of fraternal affection. Still, I had to concentrate hard to make out what it was saying. It was difficult to separate it from amongst the cackles of laughter and the knocking of barstools against the floorboards. But there was no mistaking that distinctive accent. I laughed out loud and spilled chicken juice right across my chest. Hastily wiping up my place, and then following the sound around the corner, I turned into the room to find all my suspicions instantly confirmed. Who dare you question me, word of honour, young maiden? The voice protested. On very words, bear the mark of truth, just as did the golden law that spilled from the mouth of Grafalde, 
when he was sitting upon the throne of wisdom itself. The smoky room rippled with cynical smiles and murmurs of frustration. I slotted myself in between two hardy travellers near to the door. I did so without a fear of being noticed, because the attention of the room was squarely fixed on the conversation between the two characters arguing on the other side. Give over, old man, retorted a young woman, unimpressed. She leant on a tankard with the fingers of one hand, and grasped the handle of a scabbard with the other. Her thick hair shielded me from what must have been a look of shuddering derision. At least the good King Grafalda could admit his faults. But you tell your doubtful tale like you were his guiding angel, she announced, playing jester to the assembled crowd. She shrilled her words sarcastically, haloed in an aura of innocence known only to the scepter of light. The tumult swelled to a cheer in recognition of this witty dismissal. I could swear to have caught a flash of white, a polished grin, no doubt, swimming among the flowing locks of the loquacious lady. She turned, slumped into her chair, and took a swig from her mug. In all this, I could barely contain my brotherly delight. You see, I knew that my old companion had just received an unholy anointment. A gauntlet laid at his feet, so to speak. He would never, he could never, suffer such a slight without demanding to be heard further on the subject. Well, I'll take that fairly, young lady, he admitted, taking a deep drag from his pipe. I got myself snug into my seat. I'll admit straightway that I'm no angel. Oh, I, I have made me mistakes, and I'll face them freely right enough, but... And then he swung his forefinger up, as if he were trying to stab a horse's throat. Doesn't he even agree me at Chantester height of a treason of kings? Should he begin chance upon it? He thrust at her, winking angrily. Alas, I am in this. How so? parried the lady detractor, leaning forth from the line of onlookers. Who so? replied my energetic friend, mimicking his adversary savagely. Who so, ye say? he repeated. Finally, a reasonable question, and one which I shall treat the answer gladly. Oh, will you? asked the woman. I will, shouted the old man. But then he hesitated, instructed as he was by a deep sense of chivalry. I will treat ye, aye, and ye all ye. But course only, he bowed his head gently, only if me young agitator is willing to hear it. What's your name, dearest lady? The woman rose to attention and offered the back of her palm, and the old man kneeled and kissed her knuckles. Parthenia Crees is my name, and I am certainly willing to hear your versions of the events, even if I am not as eager to believe them. Those who were sat around about them would already know the name of this fellow, Rabrun de Moibre, and they would be familiar with this long-since-retired knight, his yarns of daring do, and his outlandish descriptions of distant lands. Old Sir Rabrun, as he was known affectionately, travelled less and less in these latter days, and twisted his tails more often, rotating a circuit of increasingly shabby taverns where old men like myself chose to reside on an evening. He spoke to ageing ears who still wished, as it seemed, to imagine the glories of the former days. True glories indeed, but ones I suspect predate the experiences of a man like old Sir Rabrun. The old knight held his chin erect and puffed out his chest, just as he always did to prepare his storytelling voice. The man on my left rose to his feet, anticipating, perhaps, a late night's telling he had no interest in, 
or possibly chancing the moment to relieve his bladder in the hope I would fill him in on the beginnings later. Either way, his stool would become my footrest. I could see his young lady friend waiting patiently for the commencement of the tale-telling. Some of her initial violence had receded, and she looked relaxed, sipping from her flask with wide eyes, and finally showing signs of her youthful innocence, if guardedly. An actor, perhaps she was, I thought to myself, trained in the capital's theatres. She seemed capable of impressive turns of demeanour, and when paired with the wit of a lawmaster, there were sniffs of something greater than a simple sword-for-hire mercenary, something which might have been indicated by her military apparel. Whether or not she was an actor, a lawyer, or a priest, Sir Rabran had taken his cues diligently. He began to tread his stage. He drew alongside the jury of peers to plead his case, and he squared his gaze and his address on his young patroness to convince her of his virtue. My young lassier has disputed my claim to have carried the fate of our nation, Ebernia, on me shoulders, he began, extinguishing his tobacco and laying his pipe on the table. This feat was near one of me choosing, I might add. It was thrust upon me, by the winds of chance, but for my part, I did me duties. I can claim no more than that. Even if, God bless the king's soul, he prayed earnestly, they were discharged at the very precipice of calamity. Ay, yes, she may be forgiven her insolence, as naivety, because she does near kin what rumbles at the edges of his majesty's domains. Rumbles that are common knowledge to us who live among, as waves are to the sailor, and as stones are to the ploughman in his field. Mumbles of agreement rose among the grubby folk, who sat around clutching their breeches, as Sir Rabran appealed to the locals and their disgruntled opinions of the times. The young lady warrior rolled her eyes. Rabran took his chance. Ah, poor dearie, she is innocent of such matters. I can grant it, men of the inner cantons, but we outer folk do not enjoy the constant overwatch of the great houses, and instead put our faith in the royal guard, them blessed souls who keep at bay the incisions that come year to year, aye, and the plots of those outside our borders, who seek to divide our great nation, and grasp their share of its downfall. But I digress, this is no political piece. Suffice to say, I was once a knight of the royal order, which I can prove if asked, he said, adjusting his ruff. The tale relates, then, to an intrigue in the northern cantons, among the mountains by the great ocean, in a region where men are hard-pressed to survive, and do so only in a few small settlements scattered around trading posts. A dark and hopeless tale it is, then and the most disturbing incident I had the misfortune to have seen while wearing the colours of the guard. Rabram paused, waiting for the room to descend into a cool silence. "'Tis the tale,' he announced, "'of the Forgotten Prince.'" This excerpt was read by D.A. Clark, the author of the piece. Please note that this is a draft, and as such does not represent the quality of the final version. If you would like to find more excerpts, please visit anchor.fm forward slash david908.